All Three. 
can have a seat. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is is dead, being by itself. But someone may well say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without the works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was working with his works and as a result of the works, faith was perfected. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. In the same way was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the work that you continue to do, for the sanctifying power of your spirit, spurring us to the works that you have prepared, not because they save us, Lord, but because they reveal your saving work, that in you we are cleansed, in you you we are justified, and in you we are righteous, and also in you we are being sanctified, working in your kingdom, because that is your call and your charge to each and every one of us. Lord, we pray for your persevering work, for your preserving work, that as we continue to walk, we would do so faithfully. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad, He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. I will let Him do His gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will say it is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for he has made me glad. I will enter his gate with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter 
with praise. I will say this the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. He has made me glad. He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. I will rejoice for He has made me glad. Let's see, one thing that is not on my list that I want to mention first off, I don't know if you have been following, I have made mention a few times in the last few weeks, a um, couple of churches in California that are having some good fun arguing with the government about whether or not they're allowed to meet. Yeah, well, or you can peacefully protest, which I got a good laugh because the larger of the two is, uh, is Grace Community Church, which is in L.A. County. And to open their worship last week, their pastor welcomed everyone to their peaceful protest, which... He's got a sense of humor, at least. But they, they filed a lawsuit. They got an injunction allowing them to continue as they were. Uh, an appeals court this morning canceled that. So as of right now, if they gather as they have planned, and as they have done the last two weeks, they will be in violation of the ordinances of California. So if you think about it, they are two hours behind us. They meet around 11 a.m. Pacific time. So you think about it around 1 o'clock, say a prayer for that church this morning, or this afternoon, if you would. I'm sure they could use it. No idea what's going to happen. Give you an idea of where they are in relations. The, uh, the Grace Community Church was opened last week in prayer by the chaplain for the LAPD. <laughs> so there's, there's going to be some interesting politics going on in California, especially Southern California, in the next few weeks. So again, if around 1 o'clock this afternoon you remember them, uh, lift up that church and those folks in prayer because, like, based on the last couple of weeks, they've had a few thousand people attending. So they've all they've been given the option. You know, you want to come? It's up to you. Wear a mask, similar to what we've done, and go from there. So um, I hope you're not upset. We redid seating a little bit. There was a wedding over the weekend. Uh, and congratulate Ginger's nephew. He got he got married. So with that, we moved the chairs for the wedding, and I put them back like this because my thought was. There's about 100 chairs in here, 100 seats total. If you can't get away from somebody and you're worried about keeping distance, then you can find some place. You can sit every other chair. We're, we're good to go. The rows should be far enough apart, so if there's anyone directly behind you, you should be good. If you think we aren't far out enough apart, let me know. We'll take a row out and try to make this as comfortable as possible. But the idea was to try to get us a little bit back to normal, especially because the seating right in the middle was killing me because it was like I felt like I was staring at the people who were right there and... And then I was ignoring everybody on the outside, so it just made me feel bad. So now it's a little bit more even that I can kind of find you better. That is your spot back. I knew you'd complain. It's a little over there. <laughs> you might want to slide for when the lightning strikes. <laughs> you might be in danger. Uh, a couple of things of actual value. Uh, thank you to everybody who's grabbed a sheet. We had our first backpack come back today all full and ready, so we have one. <laughs> We have a bunch in the office. I haven't brought them all out empty because I didn't want to get them all confused and things. So if you have grabbed a sheet, thank you. If you want to bring a backpack with you to fill it, that's awesome. If you just want to bring the stuff, we will fill it. That's okay as well. Whatever you're comfortable with, just let us know, and we will take care of that. We're going to be doing that through October. 
uh, we've decided as council, and we talked about it in our last business meeting, we're going to try to get away from the monthly mission project because the feeling behind it is we're rushed on everything. So we're doing a little bit in a bunch of different places. We would rather do more in a few places. So we're kind of just devoting this time of the year to these backpacks. And when that's over in October, the goal will be kind of devoting some more time at the end of the year to other causes. So that's going to be kind of our plan, three to five bigger things a year that we can devote more of our energy and resources to. Make sense? So backpacks are it. If you don't like backpacks, bring suggestions. <laughs> that's why we have the meetings every month so that you can make them. We would love to hear them. As I've told council, I will tell you, I do not have all the good ideas, and I frequently have ideas that are not good. You should pray and thank my wife because she spares you from the majority of those because I run them by her first, and she just goes, no, honey, no. <laughs> and you are blessed by that. So. <laughs> so if you have heard the idea come out of my mouth, it's because she approved it first. So it's not my fault. It was that woman that God gave me. <laughs> Sorry. I will always make that joke every chance that I get. Um, we have a business meeting today with all of that said, so hang around after the service. We've got a couple of things that we actually do need to talk about. We are actually going to vote on something today, uh, uh, actual vote about money and stuff. So stick around. Won't take long. We've got a few things to do. Um, if you didn't notice, I will point out to you, Sam and Shelby have made it back. Yay! <laughs> and I know they're just thrilled that I point them out in front of everybody, so that's why I do it. Um, update on Vi. AD is here. If you want to ask him 17 questions, you can. I will try to spare him that fate. And just because he complained the other day, and you're doing okay too, right? <laughs> he was he was picking on me because he said I went to church and all they did was ask about Vi. Nobody cared how I was doing. <laughs> and it's almost said that's because you were here. If you're here, we figure you're doing pretty well. But Vi is at home, was doing well, not in pain. We uh, we joked that she's um, she's definitely going to be around for at least the next six weeks because her doctor made another appointment with her in six weeks, and you know he's going to get that fee for that office visit. So if he didn't think he could get that visit, he wouldn't have made the appointment. So, But if you get a chance, you want to call or go by, I'm sure they would love to see you and speak to you. Uh, Robin might be there. She's around. Doug might be there trying to help out and keep things up. So the one thing I was told, do not bring food. <laughs> I mean, unless you check first, because the neighbors beat us to it. And one of the neighbors uh, smoked six pounds of turkey and brought it over, and Beatty's sitting there going, what am I supposed to do with six pounds of turkey? <laughs> you, that's what, that's what, that was the starting point. Freeze a little bit of it. So I mean, you could drop six pounds of turkey off at my house, and most of it would probably get eaten. Like, my, my children would start going through it. But, yeah, so if you want to bring something, call first. We don't want to inundate them with food and run out their freezer. So that's all I ask, and I'm, I'm sure they would appreciate it as well. Um, that is, I think, everything that I have on my list. Elena and Jeff are traveling this weekend for Jeff's birthday, so be in prayer for them. Becca and family are traveling as well. They left uh, Mackinac Island this morning traveling back, so be in prayer for them. So Elena's not here to tell me if I forgot anything, so if I forgot it, you'll just have to hear it next week. Uh-oh, see, see, there it goes. There's always something. What I forget? Oh, in Ohio? All right, where are you going? All right, good deal. What are you going to study? Do you know yet? Nice. Better man than I am. I get elbows deep in an engine. It's like, what am I doing? Because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> I know, and I, the only things I know how to fix in an engine are because they have already broken once, and I watch somebody fix it. Like, oh, I could do that again. And then even then, it's kind of like, did he take this part off or that part? So you're already doing better than I am, so good deal. All right, trivia time. I gave you an easy one. I think I gave you an easy one this week as well. 
who asked, is there anyone still left in the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? And the answer is, David said that. Remember, he and Jonathan, good friends. Now, notice the mindset. This is what I pointed out in the reason for the question last week. So if you didn't read that, dig up your bulletin before you throw it away and, and find that. Think about the miserableness that Saul put David through. And when he is on the other side of that and he has opportunity to bless or to curse, he chooses to do what? He chooses to bless. This is what mercy and forgiveness from a person starts to look like. And this is what trusting in God for judgment begins to look like. This is a good lesson for us because, Christian, I have a really funny feeling with things going on in California. Because, you know, Illinois is nothing like California. <laughs> yeah, we say that jokingly, right? You're going to start to get opportunities, I think, to really decide how much you trust that God will bring about judgment, justice. And that's, that's going to be part of the Christian walk, I think, sooner than later in real time. And that's good. It's been good for Christians throughout human history to increase our faith and walking in Christ, knowing that God is the one who delivers, that God is the one who brings justice, and we trust in him for that. Um, we've always we've always known that we were in a blessed place, and it looks like the blessing is coming a little bit down the hill as we go along. So we will see what happens. We will continue to work and endeavor. But good lessons. When people get it right, we should take notice because so few people in the Bible get it right that when they do, we want to go, look, look, that's a good example. Let's follow that one. You know, pull the diamond out of the rough. So this is your pop quiz to make sure you've been paying attention on Sunday mornings. Don't say it out loud. Who named Moses? <laughs> I know you all know it, but pop quiz, make sure you've been paying attention. I've always told you there would be a quiz on this later. Later has finally come. And again, there is a reason for the question. Uh, work through that. You know where this is, but it'd be good if you read a couple chapters in your Bible. They will do you very good. All right, I'm not forgetting anything else. Going once, going twice, then I will stop talking so we may continue to stand and sing. When upon life's bills you are tempest on, when you are discouraged, thinking all is lost, count your many blessings, name them one by one, and it will surprise you what the Lord has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Are you ever burdened with the load of care? Does the cross seem heavy? You are called to bear. Count your many blessings, every doubt will fly. And you will be singing as the days go by. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. 
When you look at others with their lands of gold, think that Christ has promised you is welcome told. Count too many blessings money cannot buy. Your reward in heaven or your home on high. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. So amid the conflict, whether great or small, do not be discouraged, God is over all. Count your many blessings, angel will attend. Help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. The chimes of time ring out the news. Another day is through. Someone slipped and fell. Was that someone you? You may have known for added strength, your courage to renew. Do not be discouraged, for I have news for you. It is no
there is no night or in his life you'll never walk alone always feel at home wherever you Sorry about that. If I don't put that tape there, one of two things will happen. I will pull it this way and it'll start to fall off and then I'll try to catch it and it'll make all sorts of lovely noise. Or I'll put my arm here and I'll catch it this way and I'll turn my head this way and it'll rip off and makes all sorts of weird noises. And nobody wants any of that. So little tape on the back of the neck. <laughs> well, it's not for me to hear. It's for you to hear. So there you go. <sighs> Today is going to be a good, good day. It's a good one for multiple reasons. For the first reason, for weeks, we're finally going somewhere. Yay! You're going to be like, finally! Unfortunately, that means we still have one major speed bump that I've been warning you about was coming. That's the other reason this is going to be fun. Whenever, whenever I lay out a book, there's always a handful of places throughout that book that I am really looking forward to. And so, like, going through the book of Genesis, the first couple of chapters, the, the wrestling match between God and Jacob, when we're going through John, of course, chapter 3, the, uh, the work that John does with the chronology in chapter 19, the interaction he has with the crowds in chapter 6, those are kind of things that, if nobody else cares, those are the things that I look forward to going through and enjoying. 
today is one of those because this is this is theological nerd heaven territory stuff today. That's one of the reasons it's slightly fun. It's also one of the reasons it's slightly aggravating because we're going to have a lot of unanswered questions when we're done with this. <laughs> because we have guys, I've read uh, four different uh, books on this today, this little section, and guess how many perspectives I got on it? Four. <laughs> None of them agree. So we are going to definitively take our, our, our stand right in the middle of the sand and hope we don't get washed away in sand. So There is going to be a bit of a theme today, though, and the theme is going to be what we call the severity of God which is actually kind of appropriate for where we are. It's, and remember, I have known we were going to be here in Exodus on this day since the beginning of last year. Did you know where we were going to be here today in the world at this time last year? Neither did I. I just knew we'd be in Exodus somewhere. It's just kind of fun the way these things line up. I always rejoice in those and enjoy that. But today we're going to get a good look at what we call the severity of God. We understand that God is going to bring about justice. We, we understand that as Christians. We know this. Do we always understand what that will look like? I think the answer is no. And therefore, we don't necessarily explain it rightly, and we don't look forward to it rightly. Because, good example, and this is also one of the reasons why we read the James passage this morning. I, I will never forget having an argument. I, I can't forget it right now because it wasn't that long ago. The summer before I actually came here in 2017, I had an argument with a, a, a sweet lady. She was helping with the youth Sunday school class. She was in her 70s, and it just bothered her that God was going to judge people. And she actually argued with me over whether or not Jesus made a whip and drove people out of the temple. And what I mean, what I mean by that is, I said, well, what did you think he did with it? It was like waved around like, mm, don't you make me use this. Get, 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 go on. No, he stirred up a commotion. He moved the animals. He was... He was angrily, dare we say, violently acting in driving that. And she goes, no, not the Jesus I worship. So, well, lady, if that's not the Jesus you worship, that's not the Jesus of Scripture. And I got bigger issues because how long have you been in this class teaching these kids before I got here? <laughs> Starting to scare me a little bit. Today is an example of one of those passages. And my baseball players used to have a, a phrase. One of the things that I was good at, I wasn't good at a lot, but one of the things I was good at with my baseball players was I could explain for them how to do something. You know, there are coaches that can tell you what to do. There are coaches that can tell you how to do it. I could tell the individual kid how to do it really well. And then I could move to the next kid and tell that individual kid how to do a skill really well. So they got a phrase. The kid would come in and ask him, do you know how to do this? Can, like, can you lay down, lay down a bunt? And the kid would go, well, no, I've never had to do that before. And my starting catcher had his favorite phrase, because anytime he heard that, he always knew the same thing. He goes, you're going to learn today. Because if Coach Mike asked you if you knew how to do something, it's because you're going to do it. And if you don't know how to do it, you're going to learn today. Well, when it comes to the severity of God, we are going to read this passage. You're going to learn today, because you can't go through this passage and not understand how God brings about his justice. And that's good for us. Because it shows us his power, it shows us his sovereignty, and it shows us the mercy and grace that he has extended. And it's also a spur for us to show us what the work in the kingdom is actually accomplishing. So, with all of that said, let's read chapter 4, verses 18 through 31. Then Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. 
And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. Now the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. The Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. So he led him alone. At that time, she said, you are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Now the Lord said to Aaron, go to meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the Israels of the sons of Israel, and Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of the people. So the people believed, and when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed low and worshipped. <sighs> Those reading through that, you probably went, huh, I have questions. Hopefully we will answer them, and we will answer them well. If not, don't blame me, I didn't write it. We're going to do the best we can here. So rewind to the beginning, and let's go through the easy stuff first. Moses departed and returned to Jethro, his father in law. Yay! No more questions. We've been asking questions for weeks. Every time God tells him to go, he goes, okay, but. All right, fine. Okay, but. No, we're done. We're going. Hallelujah. There is a slight problem, though. There's always a slight problem. He departed and returned to Jethro's father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go that I may return to my brethren who are in Egypt to see if they are still alive. We already know they're still alive. How do we know that they're still alive? Exodus 3. The Lord said, I have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have given heed to their cry because of their taskmasters. I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now behold, the cry of the sons of Israel has come to me. I have seen the oppression with which the Egyptians are oppressing them. We know they're alive. If they weren't alive, who is God sending Moses to deliver? That doesn't make any sense. If you made me pick something, I would tell you I think this is Moses being polite and kind of soft playing the, the possible dangers of this journey. I mean, this... Going to Egypt to demand things, I don't know if we have a modern equivalent. I, I really don't, because we don't have a setup like this. Like, you can't really, I guess you could go to Congress and petition them, but it's not really the same thing. Congress can't, like, as you walk out the door, go, hey, kill that guy. I didn't like how he looked at me. Kill him. Pharaoh can. I mean, you, you, you might be nervous about going to speak to a governor, but he can't have you shot when you walk out the door. Pharaoh can. This is kind of a big deal. And Egypt is the place of places. So I think this is Moses just soft playing the possible dangers here. Let me, let me go check on him and see how they're doing. What do you say? On a second note, this is actually really, really good. And what do I mean by that? Exodus 20, which we haven't gotten to yet, but you know what's in there. Verse 12, 
Honor your father and your mother that your days may be prolonged in the land which the Lord your God gives you. This is what that looks like in action. Is Moses going to Egypt? Yes. God is sending him. Moses is walking. What if Jethro said no? Is Moses still going to Egypt? Yes. Yes, he is. But the way that you honor Jethro is you give him what? You give him the opportunity to get in line and to argue himself with God. (laughs) And unlike Moses, what does Jethro do? He says, go in peace. Because Moses is going. Who is going to make sure that Moses is going at this point? Make sure we follow along with who's in charge here. Who's going to ensure that Moses is going? God is. God was going to ensure that from the very beginning. Part of his mercy, part of his patience on display, is that every time Moses has an objection, God does what? Gives him a backhand and tells him to go anyway? No. He answers the objection, gives him something that will comfort, and then commands him again to go. God is going to do it. He's going to do this through Moses, but he is going to condescend. He is going to demonstrate his graciousness and give Moses the answers that he desires. So Jethro tells him to go in peace. 19, the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. That's actually some good news. This is some comfort for Moses because if you're Moses, what's the reason you ran out? Uh, Chapter 2 of Exodus. When Pharaoh heard of the matter, Moses killing the Egyptian taskmaster, burying him in the sand, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from the presence of Pharaoh, settled in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. And then you you know the story from there. If you're Moses, your first concern going back should have been, you know they're going to kill me when they find me. No, 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 they're not. We've taken care of that. We have waited long enough that the people who cared are gone. Statute of limitations in Egypt has expired simply because nobody cares anymore. They're probably not even going to recognize you when you walk in. You imagine leaving someplace when you're 40, going out to live in the wilderness for a while, and, you know, four decades later you come back. You think everybody's going to be like, oh, look, it's Moses! No, it's probably going to be like, who is that? That's Moses? Do you remember what he looked like? Do we have his his yearbook? What's his high school photo look like? Are you sure? No, I don't think that's him. (laughs) We do that after 10 years. Look how much you've changed. Imagine 40, living in the wilderness, shepherding. Hard life. So, God has comforted. Verse 20, Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Ooh, family trip time. Now, we have two children. Uh, Gershom is the firstborn. Eleazar is the secondborn. Gershom is going to be important in a few verses. So, that's one of the reasons why this is thrown in here. So, remember who the firstborn is. You're going to want to know that information in about 10 minutes. That's Gershom. And Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. Remember, I, I don't know, was it last week or the week before I asked, um, do you, was the staff important? See, you all said yes, and I said, no, it's not. Because if Moses loses it, can God tell him to use another one? Yes. Notice whose staff it is. It's not Moses' staff. It's not Aaron's staff. It is God's staff. This is important. Psalm 150, this is one of the reasons why we do what we do. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. See, the mighty deeds fall under multiple categories, and we're going to cover some of those today. One of the reasons we praise God is not just because of the goodness he has shown to us, but because of the judgment he has shown to our enemies. Because, catch this, our enemies are whose enemies? His enemies, which means when judgment comes, the reaction of the people who have been shown the mercy should be what? 
Yay. That's a good thing. You have upheld righteousness and justice. That is good. That is right. When a rapist is arrested, do we go, oh, that poor man's going to go to jail. I feel so bad for him. I mean, you might for a moment, but your first thought is what? I'm glad they caught him. I want this guy to go away. I don't want him around my daughters. I don't want him around my sisters. I don't want him around my wife. I want him around no one else. He is a problem. Now we may begin to think down the road, but we have celebrated first what? Justice. The punishing of wrongdoing. It is good and it is right. Um, Extend that idea out. Um, Children need discipline. I didn't tell you to beat them with an inch of their life. You may be tempted some days. But children need discipline. Why? Because they need to know that there is a right and a wrong. And they need to know as they grow up that there is what? A consequence for the wrong behavior. Not just in a temporal sense. Not just in an earthly sense. That's what temporal means. Children need to know that there is an eternal consequence for wrong behavior, that God will bring every act of disobedience to judgment. This is part of what we do as parents. This is part of what we do as discipling children as a church. When we see them doing something they should not be doing at church, Christian, it is our job to go, don't do that. Not because we're mean and we don't want you to have fun, but because there are consequences to your behavior, and we as lovingly as we possibly can want to steer you from those bad things, because if you do not turn from them now, There is coming a day when we will not be able to lovingly steer you from the consequences that God will bring. This is the goal of parenting. This is the goal of discipling. This is the goal of our witness in the world. It's not, you're going to hell if you do that. It's, you're going to hell if you do this. You you catch the difference between those two things? Like Westboro gets the first one really right. Like, oh, you're going to hell, you're going to hell. (laughs) No. That's not how we rejoice in God's judgment. The warning to them is, you will be judged if you do not turn to God. And yes, when that day comes, I will stand at the side and go, God was right and just. Blessed be the name of the Lord. This was good. But I won't celebrate what happens to you. That should be our attitude with everyone, from children to adults, as we would put it, from cradle to grave. This is the spur for our evangelism and our discipleship. It's understanding the justice judgments and severity of God because he is going to do what he has promised both good and bad from our perspective and we have to walk accordingly if you don't believe me verse 21 and 22 eventually the Lord said to Moses when you go back to Egypt see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders which I put in your power excuse me but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, this is a reminder. This is not new information. If you rewind to chapter 3, verses 19 and 20, I know the king of Egypt will not permit you to go except under compulsion. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all my miracles, which I shall do in the midst of it. And after that, he will let you go. We know this. There is an important question, though, that we should do well to answer. Why? Because I'm sure you've asked this question numerous times in your life. Why does it have to be like this? Like, wasn't there a better way? First of all, no. No, there wasn't. If there was, what would have God done? He'd have done that. So, 
what is he doing? Why are we doing this? And again, I mentioned this last week. I will read it this week. I think Paul gives a really good example in Romans chapter 8. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now stop. We always stop right there on the coffee mug, don't we? Like, that's the coffee cup verse. We put that on the mug. We put it on the mantle. We don't drink out of that one because that's the fancy one. And that's where we stop. Keep going. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son. We call that sanctification and glorification, purifying you from your sin. And he predestined to, I'm sorry, to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the son firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. These whom he called, he justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. The good that God is working out is the redemption, sanctification, and purification of his people. Now that involves multiple things. It involves the pulling them away from sin, but it also involves what with sin? The judgment upon sin. This is the good news in action. Sin will be judged. It was either judged for you in Christ or on you in eternity. Those are the only two options. Remember, it's the example. There are only two types of people in this world, those who like Neil Diamond and those who don't. Similarly in theology, you're either sin dealt with in Christ or sin dealt with in you. Our goal is we want sin dealt with where? In Christ. This is the working out of God. This is the reason why he is doing all of the things that he is doing. Is He is either working out salvation or sanctification in an unbeliever. He's either working out salvation in the unbeliever or sanctification in the believer. This is an example of that. Part of that sanctification is driving sin from you as much as it is driving you from sin. You understand the difference between those two things? One is pulling you away. One is getting you to desire and want something less. The other thing is casting it away, getting it far away, condemning and judging it so that it will not trouble you anymore. The reason I use this as the example is Paul understood this because in the very next chapter, he used this as an example in Romans 9. What shall we say then? There is no injustice in God, is there? May it never be. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I raised you up to demonstrate my power in you, that my name might be proclaimed throughout the whole earth. So then he has mercy on whom he desires, and he hardens whom he desires. So God will redeem Israel and purify them from their sin by condemning Pharaoh and judging his. That is both the mercy and the severity of God. Part of the lesson of the book of Exodus is God will use catastrophe and calamity to demonstrate his attributes and rescue his people. Yes! Yes, he will. Isaiah chapter 45. I am the Lord, there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I will gird you, though you have not known me that men may know from the rising to the setting of the sun that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, there is no other, the one forming light and creating darkness, causing well-being and creating calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Ow. So let's make this practical. Let's have some fun. 
think I counted right this morning. We have just under 50 people in the room. Which means, according to the dictates of our benevolent God, Governor Pritzker, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. It feels like that some days, but I'm kidding. <laughs> according to those dictates, we are legal. Now, if three more people walked in the room, would I freak out? Would I care? No, we, we can space out. We have seating. Clark will share his row. He's got seven more seats. You can get far enough away. I think it, you, mean, you can sit over here. There's, there's places. This is why we did what we have done. We are good. Is God shocked that our governor has outlawed us having two more people in this room? No. Now, here's my fun question. Did the governor do that or did God do that? Do you know what I think the answer is? Yes. The answer is yes. Why? Well, because for some of our churches, they're going to look at that 50 people and go, we can't do that. You know what? We'll just we'll count you at the door and then we'll stop people and say, you got to go, you got to come later. Sorry. And you know what that's going to reveal? Where their heart is. And for the people that go, oh, I can't go. There's one too many. That's going to reveal where their heart is. And there's going to be people who go, you came to church. You're here to worship God. We will figure out a way to make this work. And you know what that reveals? Where their heart is. This is what difficulty does. This is Romans 5, James 1, 1 Peter 1. This is Luke 6, Luke 12, Luke 13. The, the persecution of the world, if we can even call this real persecution, which I'm leery most days when you see what some of the rest of the Christians on the planet are actually dealing with. The difficulties and hardships of life. I think we can agree that we can agree with that definition. They reveal who you are, what you care about, and what you're willing to put up with. This is good news for you, because where are we supposed to be trusting? God, work in Christ, walking this out. Well, that might mean he might call, call me to walk through difficult things that I don't like. Yeah, that's, that's actually the point of life. That's actually the point of life, that you faithfully walk whether you like it or not that you continue to persevere in Christ, testifying to the mercy that he has shown, the strengthening that he has given you, the giving you, and the perseverance that is on display because he is walking with you. It doesn't matter what may come. It matters whom we serve. And as an example of this, I thought it was fun when we went through this book. If you don't remember it, I'll try to find the audio for you if you want it. Habakkuk chapter 1. Remember when we went through Habakkuk at the beginning of all of this? What was Habakkuk's lament? Look at all the sin of these people. God, when are you going to do something about this? God said, look among the nations, observe, be astonished and wonder, because I am doing something in your days you would not believe if you were told. For behold, I am raising up the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, that fierce and impetuous people who march throughout the earth to seize dwelling places which are not theirs. In other words, oh, you think you guys are bad? I'm going to send the Babylonians to judge you. What was Habakkuk's response? Have you met the Babylonians? Like, do you know what kind of people these are? Like, do you, they're worse than we are. I mean, we're bad, but we're not Babylonian bad. I'm going to wait for God to tell me again. And God says, yeah, they're bad. And I will judge them for their sin. But I will also use them as my righteous instrument to judge your sin. And Habakkuk was one of the upright. Habakkuk is the one wanting to walk in godliness. And what was the punchline of that at the end of that book? Where was Habakkuk stationing himself? Was he going to go run and hide in the mountains? I will take my stand upon the wall as a watchman. 
I'm going to stand here and wait for them to come over the hill. When they come over the hill, what's going to happen to the guy on the wall first? Habakkuk's basically saying, I'm going to stand here and wait for my turn to die. Because I know who my Redeemer is. I know who my hope is. My righteousness is in my faith. That's Habakkuk 2, 4. So yes, the Babylonians are coming. They'll be judged. Sin will be judged. God will be glorified. And his people, by his power, will persevere. That's part of the lesson. This is the point of life, that we bear up under trouble, that we persevere in the face of difficulty. So, what should Moses do when he gets there, kneeling with this stubborn Pharaoh? Verse 22, you shall say to the Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. All right, this is drawing a battle line in the sand, because that's Pharaoh's territory right here. In Egypt, that's Pharaoh. He is the representative of the gods. He is, quote-unquote, the firstborn of Ra. He is the direct access point for all of these things. So basically what God is saying is when you get there, you go tell the one who thinks he's the firstborn that God is actually here to reclaim his firstborn. And the prophets understood this and realized this. They, they utilized this description. Hosea talks about when Israel was a youth, I loved him, and out of Egypt I have called my son. Matthew points out that that was God calling Israel out of Egypt to demonstrate that he would one day call Christ out of Egypt as well. Isaiah 64, now, O Lord, you are our father. We are the clay, you are potter, and all of us are the work of your hand. This is an important designation for Israel because the prophets understood this and used it as a call to action for the people. To what? Joel chapter 2. Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. They used it as a call to repentance. And a repentance where? A big showy thing? Rend not your garments, but your heart. So that was the culture. When you wanted to show you were mourning, you tore the seam of your clothes, you stopped cutting your hair, you poured the ashes on your forehead, and you walked around like this. Like a, like a hungry toddler. You're like, everybody knows when the child is hungry, right? Because how does the child look? Starving. Haven't eaten in 72 days. It's more like 72 minutes, but you get the idea. That's how you mourn. What is God telling the people? I don't care what you look like. I care who you are. I care what you believe, who you're following. I don't want you broken on the outside. I want you broken on the inside. Because then we've got something to work with. Then we have something to build up. Then we have something to do. Now, Christian, this hasn't changed. The people of God have been and always will be the children of God. So connect this to your, old, to your New Testament, Galatians 4. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Romans 8 makes the same point. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. See, what's the punchline? That you walk faithfully. Why? Because that's the symbol that something has changed in you. When will you get there? 
When you get there, if you haven't gotten there, you aren't there yet. See, that's brilliant and stupid all at the same time because it's common sense. This is why John reminds you that he who perseveres to the end will be saved. That's why we talk about it in stages. You are saved and you are being saved. Because the warning is, if you depart from the path, you went, of us, you went out of us because you were not of us. So you left because you were never truly here. You were just, you were just wandering in the same direction for a period of time. This is why my encouragement is always to read dead theologians. You know what dead guys can't do? No, they can't change what they wrote or what they believe. That time has come and gone. As long as I'm breathing, there's a possibility that a, a frying pan or a donkey might kick me in the back of the head, and I'll say something different from what I've said before. This is why Paul warned the Galatians what? If I or an angel from heaven preaches you a different gospel, they are to be accursed. They are anathema. So if I come back in and tell you something different and it doesn't comport with Scripture, get me out of here. Run me out on a rail. That goes for Paul, and by the way, that, that goes for me too. If I start coming in here and saying something stupid, and you're like, that's not what that means. That's not what that says. There's enough of you in here. Pick me up and toss me out the door. Do what? <laughs> You'll figure it out. <laughs> so that's how this is supposed to work. We build you up so that you know, so that you may discern, so that you may discern, so that when error comes along, you go, whoa, no. And if we can't justify it, out the door with you. I almost said ye like we're bad pirates or something. Arr, walk the plank. <laughs> Don't ask me where that just came from. This is how this is supposed to work. This is how we are supposed to walk. Why? Because of the work of God, we have the adoption of God. We are now the people and children of God, so we walk in accordance with God. And we'll know we get there when we get there because he has preserved us, he has sanctified us, and then when we arrive, he will glorify us. Verse 23, this is when we start to turn here. So I said to you, let my son go that you may serve me. We're still what we're going to say to Pharaoh. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. That escalated quickly, didn't it? And you want to know what eye for an eye looks like? There you go. You killed my children. You refused to release my children. You may want to go hide your children. That's the severity of God in action. This is a warning. So when we get into the rest of Exodus, it's not like, well, I can't believe God came up with this idea. You've known it was coming for, by the time we get there, you know, eight chapters. This is part of what goes on. And Moses understood that because what did he tell the Israelites in Deuteronomy? This is his speech before they enter into the promised land. The Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords, great, the mighty, the awesome God who does not show partiality nor take a bribe. He executes justice for the orphan and the widow and shows his love for the alien by giving him food and clothing. How does Moses know that? Because he executes justice. He upheld his people. He delivered righteousness. He gave warning after warning, and when you did not heed it, he did what was necessary to accomplish his righteous plan. And by the way, this makes connections for us as well. Psalm 89. Once you spoke in vision to your godly ones, and you said, I have given help to one who is mighty. I have, I have exalted one chosen from the people. I have found David my servant. With my holy oil I have anointed him. With whom my hand will be established, my arm also will strengthen him. The enemy will not deceive him, nor the sons of wickedness afflict him. But I shall crush his adversaries before him and strike those who hate him. This is the warning. This is why we're still here. You know, this is one of the things I always try to remind us at Christmas time. 
is yes, we celebrate, you know, the quietness of the manger and the peacefulness of the baby, right? That was the first coming. What's the second one look like? <laughs> yeah, that's the flaming eyes and the sword and the horses and the thunder. And the, that, that's the Mount Sinai return of Christ. He's coming in his judgment. And that is good because he is coming in justice and righteousness. But in the meantime, where do we want that judgment dealt with? On them? No. On him. The one who comes and judges says, I am the one who has taken your punishment if you will follow me. This is our lesson. This is our reminder. The severity of judgment is coming, but the mercy and grace is extended first. This is what the just judge of all the earth does. Now, believe it or not, in this section of Exodus, that was all the easy stuff. <laughs> it's all downhill from here, at least for a short period. Verse 24. I warned you before, you probably don't remember, and that's okay, that we have to be very careful in Exodus because we have a few ambiguities. We have a few places where things aren't very clear, and we want to be very careful about being dogmatic and certain about things that Scripture is not dogmatic and certain of. The next three verses is what that looks like on steroids. So, it came about at the lodging place on the way that the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Oh, no, no, go back, go back, one too many. We're just, we're stopping at 24. It came about at the lodging place on the way. The Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Now, here's your trivia question of the morning. Who in tarnation is him? Because I want to know, because God's going to kill him. <laughs> and I want to know who God's going to kill before this goes down. I have no earthly idea. Exodus doesn't tell you. We know who's on the trip. We've got Moses, we've got Gershom, and we've got Eleazar. But the Hebrew literally says, him and him. You, you just have to know. So when Moses wrote it, he knew. Multiple people thought Moses. That doesn't make the least bit of sense to me because we have basically covered for the last month that Moses is going to Egypt and delivering the people. So Moses isn't dying here. If you made me hand in a Bible, hand, let me see how we do this. So hand in the Bible, right hand to God, like pick one or else. Him is Gershom. Him is Gershom, the firstborn of Moses. And here is why. It's because of what has just happened and what has happened previously in Scripture and what I know from later on. And this is what I mean. What was the warning that Moses is going to give to Pharaoh? Follow God, do what he says or what? You're losing your firstborn. Now, Abraham and his descendants have been given a command. It's Genesis chapter 17. God said to Abraham, as for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you, throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and you and your descendants after you. Moses is a descendant of Abraham. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. This goes on a few verses later. An uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that person shall be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God was serious about this. The Israelites were to follow this. This was a mark unto them of their covenant with God. Now, Joshua chapter 5 makes the point that the Israelites going into the land had to be circumcised before they entered the land because the previous generation had died all those who came out of Egypt, Joshua 5 tells you, had been circumcised. 
Israel stopped practicing circumcision in the wilderness, not before. Moses was born where? In Egypt. He was hidden for how long? Three months he was hidden, which means obedient family did what? Circumcised the child. Might explain why the brown people of Egypt could look at a brown baby in a basket and go, oh, that's one of the Hebrews' children. Because when you open the swaddling, what are you going to notice? Circumcised child. That's how we know that's one of the Hebrews' children. That's a guaranteed way of finding out. Because otherwise, he's going to look a lot like they do. No real way of knowing. So <clears throat> Moses was circumcised. So Zipporah's action doesn't make any sense in regards to Moses. I think this is God saying, tell Pharaoh to walk before me or else. And what is Moses not doing? He is not walking before God. Therefore, what have we got? And or else. All right, verse 25. Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and threw it at Moses' feet. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. All right, we got to address this right off the bat. The NASB translates this wrong. It doesn't say Moses. Guess what it says? His. <laughs> so we've got God coming to kill him. Zipporah circumcises her son, and throws it at his feet. Who is his? Now, they translated it wrong because they made a decision on that, a decision that I actually agree with, that I think it is Moses' feet. And believe it or not, there's some ambiguity about feet because Hebrew is such a fun language that you basically anything from the waist down can be described with a similar word, and everything from the waist up can be described with one word, and everything from the shoulder down can be described with one word. So when we say feet, it could be anything from about here down. And that's the end of that discussion right now. You can use your imaginations. You're all smart people. So Zipporah, for reasons unknown, remedies this situation. And I think she marks Moses. And the reason I say that is because she's speaking to someone when she says, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Now, if she's speaking to Gershom, I think that makes absolutely positively no sense. Like, why would you call your son a bridegroom of blood? That's not how this works. That's not how any of this works. She could be speaking to God because she is now marking her son as a member of the covenant and speaking to God. And I think that's partial, but I think she is really speaking about her husband in the sight of God, if that makes any sense. I mean, this is what a wedding is meant to be done, right? You speak in front of witnesses, but you're ultimately declaring your intentions to who? God. If nobody else was here, the marriage wouldn't be valid in the state's eyes because we've got to have witnesses to sign on everything. But can you speak to God if, not, if there aren't 400 people in the room? Yes. The marriage vows are not for you. They're not for them. They're for God, ultimately. I think that's what you have here. She's marking out Moses because she's declaring her allegiance to him now, no longer based on the fact that he was the only eligible bachelor in 40 square miles and he rescued her from trouble at the well, but based on what? I am now marking myself, you, our child. We are in this how. By what? By the mark of blood. Part of a foreshadowing here. What makes this people, why was circumcision the symbol? It's a mark in the flesh of the people, symbolizing what? That we now all look the same? No, Deuteronomy chapter 10 again. The Lord your God belongs, to the Lord your God belongs heaven and the highest heaven in the earth and all that is in it. Your fathers did set 
I'm sorry, on your fathers did the Lord set his affection to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, even you above all peoples, as it is as it is this day. So circumcise your heart and stiffen your neck no longer. Circumcision was never about the flesh. I mean, think about it. If you're walking around in Israel, how would you know? <clears throat> See, that's you're grinning. A couple of you are grinning because you're like, well, unless you're going to be like, huh? Ah, ah, good job. I mean, <laughs> see, you're laughing now because that's ridiculous. What do you just assume? Because you're walking in godliness, because we just assume that the inward symbol or the, the outward symbol is done because it is meant to, circ- to symbolize an inward reality. I mean, when we fill that and dunk somebody, are, have we washed their sins away? No, we can't. Christ can't. We are symbolizing the washing away of sins. We are using an outward demonstration of what is meant to be what? An inward reality. That's what we say, buried with him in death. Do I hold you under until you die? It feels like it. That's why, that's why I'm tempted every time, and I never do it to pray for his own. But did you die? I'm, I'm tempted, but I never actually do it. But you're buried with him in death and raised to walk in newness of life. Are you born again physically when I pull you out of the water? No. Are you born again spiritually in Christ? Yes. Outward symbol of an inward reality. Circumcision is the exact same thing. Exact same thing. And it was always meant to be that for the people of Israel. But there is an actual walking in obedience. This is why we tell you, be baptized if you're a believer. Because it's a mark of obedience to God. If you are unwilling to get your head wet for God, I start to wonder what else you might be unwilling to deal with. I start to wonder how well you will bear up under trial. How well you will walk in faithfulness. How well you will traverse the valley of death knowing that he is with you. If you won't take small steps, will you take big ones? That's the question that needs to be asked. That's what you're seeing here in action. Moses is good. I honestly think Zipporah and Gershom were good. How do I know that? Because she acted. This is, again, why we read the James 2. Was Abraham saved before circumcision? Yes. Was Abraham saved before the um, almost offering of Isaac? Yes. How do I know he walked in faithfulness? Because when God said to do these things, he did them. His faith was proven by how he walked. The same with Rahab. The same with the Old Testament saints of Hebrews 11. It demonstrates. It's not that the work suddenly made them clean. It's they demonstrated the cleanliness that God had already produced within them. You're seeing that here with Zipporah. So I don't know if Moses was the problem or Zipporah was the problem. I just know that somebody was going to solve it, and she was apparently awake, so she took care of it. So he let him alone. So uh, verse 26. So he, so God let Gershom, is how we're going to read this, alone at the time that Zipporah said, you, talking to Moses, are a bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Does that make sense? Now, again, I have a book in my office written by a guy with like 18 initials after his name because of his advanced degrees who thinks what I just said is crazy. So if you think what I just said is crazy, you are welcome to disagree with me, and we can argue about it if you want. I just don't think we're going to get anywhere. I just think that makes the most sense. And part of the reason I say this is what makes the most sense is because it demonstrates what I think is the consistency of the message from Old to New Testament in places like Romans chapter 4. Is the blessing on the circumcised or the uncircumcised also? Come with the blessings of salvation. For we say faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness. How then was it, as, how then was it credited? 
while he was circumcised or while he was uncircumcised? And I got news for you. Faith was credited to Abraham as righteousness in Genesis 15. Abraham was given circumcised circumcision in Genesis 17. I don't know much about math because I'm not a math guy, but I do know 15 comes before 17 until the rest of society gets a hold of math and ruins that too. But that, they haven't done it yet. Give them a minute. So while he was circumcised, not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised, he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had while uncircumcised, so that he might be the father of all who believe without being circumcised, that righteousness might be credited to them. See, you're not seeing a sudden salvation. You're seeing a demonstration of what they should have done being performed in action. That's why you see God relent. You're also seeing, is God serious about this? Mm-hmm. God's very serious. He's not waiting around for Moses to figure this out. He's coming into the camp and going, you going to do something about this? Like, now? Okay, good deal. <laughs> and we're moving on. So, that was it. You survived the difficult part. See, it was easy, right? <laughs> now the simple stuff. The Lord said to Aaron, go meet Moses in the wilderness. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. We got Moses giving Aaron directions because we already knew Aaron was coming from chapter 4. Because he says, is there not your brother Aaron the Levite? I know that he speaks fluently. And moreover, he is coming out to meet you. And when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Hey, promise fulfilled. And we made sure he got there because God gave him the directions, you know, little heavenly GPS to show him how to go. Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord which he had sent him. Yay! And all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Yay! And Moses and Aaron went and assembled all the elders of the sons of Israel. We're, we're doing it. We're actually following what God told them to do after the last three weeks. Doesn't this like feel like, like, like we should be having a party after all the arguing? And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. He then performed the signs in the sight of all the people. All right, time out. Why? Who are we pointing to again? We're pointing back to God. Deuteronomy 26. The Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us. They imposed harsh labor upon us. We cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers, and the Lord heard our voice, saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression, and the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, with great terror, with signs, with wonders, and he brought us to this place, has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So we are remembering to do all of these things because they point not to Moses, not to Aaron, not to the Israelites, not even to their deliverance, but it points to God. And we know that they understood that because of verse 31. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about the sons of Israel and that he had seen their affliction, then they bowed down low and worshipped. Anything jump out at you about that? When you survive something scary, what's the first thing you think of? <laughs> yeah, you're thankful, right? Do you ever, like, uh, like you know, you didn't get sideswiped by the truck? Do you ever pull over and be like, you know what? I just need to sing a couple of praise songs right now and just get out on the side of the highway and start singing? I I'm pretty sure you didn't. I'm not saying it makes you a bad person. I'm just saying, we say a little quick thing of thanks, and then we get about our day, and then two days later, how much do we remember about it? What did they do when they heard God was coming? They rejoiced, right? Probably. But what did they do first? They worshipped. Made sacrifice. Prayed. 
a different attitude. We're not just rejoicing, we are worshiping. This is a question for you. How's your worshiping going? And I don't mean how you sing, although sing louder, it's good for you. See, this, this, is, this is why we refer to a worship service. We don't just do worship with music and then we stop doing worship. No, we do worship with word. How we handle this time when we're walking through scripture is part of worship. This is part of my worship. I have been charged to explain these things to you. It is my worship of God to do them well, to take this seriously, as seriously as I can take things, actually. You understand. Hey, that wasn't nice. (laughs) You're not supposed to laugh that much. (laughs) I'm just picking on you. Takes a lot more than that to offend me, trust me. (laughs) This is part of my worship. Part of your worship is we have gathered to praise, to pray, and to learn, to study, to grow. This is how we do it. This is a part of worship. So when I read a scripture verse and have a prayer time, part of that is worship. When you come in and greet people and say good morning, that is part of worship. When we leave here and talk to people on the way out or run like our rear ends are on fire to get to our car, that's part of worship. If, if, if that just caught you, then that, that's a you problem, not a me problem. I didn't <laughs> do what? Costco. <laughs> that's part of worship. What you're thinking about right now is part of your worship. It, it's all there. I pointed this out in Sunday school. I want to point it out again in here. We have so few good examples in our Bible of people getting it right. Like the majority of our human examples in Scripture is like, don't do that. Like, don't be that guy. That when we see one that's good, I want to just be like, I want to like wave flags and like dance around and shoot off sparklers. Be like, hey, remember this one. See? We have a God who cares. We have a God who calls us to himself. First Peter 5, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. John 13, the upper room, when Jesus is dealing with his disciples, before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. That doesn't mean he loved them until he died. Is Jesus dead? No, the end means he loved them completely. He loved them fully. There is not an end to the love of Christ. He has walked with these disciples, he has upheld these disciples, and he will love them in continuance. Christian, That hasn't changed either. We need to reorient our lives rightly on these truths. Because part of our worship isn't just, I'm glad you did this good thing for me. Some of our worship needs to be, I'm glad you sent me this struggle. We don't think like that. We don't think like Job. We're walking through Job on Wednesday night. Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell to the ground, and worshipped. The Lord gives the Lord takes away, and we wrote a song, right? Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's from Job. After all of his stuff and all of his children were killed. <laughs> I don't know if I got that. But I need to. I need to. And if I don't have that, that needs to be the level of faith, the level of service, the level of worship that I am working towards because that's the upward call of Christ to walk faithfully no matter the calamity. And look, 
Calamity's coming. What's the death rate again? 100%. No one survives life. Nobody survives life. Which sounds, which sounds silly to say, right? Not even Jonathan survives life. <laughs> give it a minute. <laughs> and if that minute's up, give it another one. Just keep giving it a minute because it's coming. We don't like thinking about that, but we need to. Because one of two things is either going to happen. You're either going to be taken away from the things and people you love, or you will live long enough to watch them all go away. And that's a reality. Where is my treasure? Where is my hope? Where is my security? Where is my love? Where is my heart? Because if it's set too much here, the way I start moving it up is in worship. Disconnecting from the things around me and connecting them to Christ in God. I mean, I hate the old cliche. We, we haven't used it in church in so long, and I'm glad. I think we finally shamed everybody into getting rid of it. We used to tell people, you can't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. It's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You can't be any earthly good unless you are heavenly minded. You have to set your, your eyes on the things above in order to rightly understand the things that are below. Because otherwise you will be consumed by this place and you will be lost and carried away. And what was the starting point of everything we talked about today? We don't want that for anyone. Least of all me. What's the starting point with proclaiming this rightly? Walking in faith and living this. And I start that in worship. So when I come in, I say good morning because that's part of my worship. And then when it's time to praise, you know what I need to be doing? Praising. And I have learned this because, you know, I've been in some churches where the music is. <laughs> and I don't like it and I don't love it and I don't even want to sing it. You know what I do? I worship. And I've sat in churches where I didn't like the pastor and I didn't like the sermons. And you know what I did? I worshiped. I listened, I followed along, and I learned, and I disciplined myself and discipled my family, and we talked about these things, and we worship, because that's how we do. That's how we walk, because I understand that his mercy has abide, it abides upon me, which means his wrath has been removed, but his judgment is still coming, which means I need to discipline myself so that I may discipline my children, so that I may discipline my neighbors, I may discipline those that he has put into my path, so that the fate that awaits them will be avoided. Because it is real, and it is coming, and it is who we are in this world. And my reorientation starts every single day with how, when, and why I worship. And that's the good example. God is going to deliver you out of Egypt. Let's pray. <laughs> Let's pray. This is how this is supposed to be. God has delivered us. Why would we ever not worship? Why would we ever lose sight of this? So, I ask again, not because I want you to answer me, because I want you to answer you. How's your worship? Because that's part of the evaluation of life. If it's awesome, then you know what? Good deal. Keep it up. If it's not awesome, guess what the Holy Spirit just did for you? He just shined a big old light and said, hey, look, here's the area of your life you need to start working on. Let's go. And that's how sanctification happens. He just happened to use this, you know, idiot today. Go team. But the Holy Spirit will illuminate you. He will show you your deficiencies. He will show you what you need to work on. And then you can get about the business of working. Why? Because he will empower you. Because God has loved you, called you to himself, and is walking faithfully with you. Therefore, we have nothing to fear, 
nothing to worry about, nothing to be downtrodden over, and we have every reason to be joyful and worshipful. Why? Because we will be successful, because God will preserve his people. Let's pray. Again, Lord, we say thank you. Thank you for the work that you have done and the work that you continue to do, for the examples that you give, for the mercy that you have shown, and for the strength that you still display day by day. Lord, work within our hearts and our minds each and every day. Bring us to the place where we know you, Lord, love you and serve and worship, that we cast aside the things of this world, longing for the things of your kingdom. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Some glad morning when this life is o'er, I'll fly away to a home on God's celestial shore. I'll fly away. When I die, hallelujah, by and by, I'll fly away. When the shadows of this life is grown, I'll fly away. Like a bird from prison bars have flown, I'll fly away. business meeting don't run off we'll be quick we'll be quick it'll be all right and again if you think about it in about an hour or so uh, say a prayer for churches in california who are going to be meeting and going through all of their things and and some of our prayer requests remember sam and shelby continuing remember vi and 80 as well and 
Everybody else who's got things going, I'm going to forget some, so I'll stop trying to name them. So let's pray. Again, Lord, as we leave, change our hearts, strengthen our faith that we would walk in you and you alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.